Hey, we're back. This is the One Foot Down Podcast. I am Eric Murtaugh. This is our 53rd episode. We took a good long summer break, over three months. We're tan, rested, and ready to go. With me on the podcast today is a person you are familiar with from our site. He goes by Young Curmudgeon. His real name is Phil. Phil, how are you doing? How was your summer? Uh, My summer was uneventful, which is just how I liked it. Uh, we wish Notre Dame football was that way. We, we're not that lucky. Well, I was, I was just trying to balance out the universe there. <laughs> All right. So we, like I said, we've been gone for over three months. We haven't taped a podcast. So we got a lot of stuff to kept up, catch up on. Uh, we're going to kind of rapid fire our way through some, some big topics. When we last talked on the podcast, everything was re- revolving around Everett Golson transferring and Malik Sayer kind of ascending to the quarterback position. Um, we haven't taped podcasts since we actually found out that Golson is going to Florida State. Um, real quickly before we move on, uh, do you like Golson's fit there? Do you think he's going to excel? Do um, you think there's going to be some problems? Uh, do you think everything's going to work out for him down there? Um, I, I mean, I hope so. I, I like I like I sort of said in our last podcast is I I really don't hold anything against Ever Golson so. I don't, I mean, I think I've, I'm not the first one to say this. I'm certainly not going to be the last is that I hope ever Golson does really well at Florida state. And I hope Florida state has a terrible year. Um, you know, and I, and I don't, I mean, I thought he was going to be really successful last year at Notre Dame. Um, and you know, and just things happen to him mentally. So maybe he'll turn it around, but I guess we'll just have to see what happens. Maybe he just needed the change of atmosphere. Yeah, I think that, I think he's going to do pretty well, and you know, just kind of looking at their schedule, I have a hard time seeing them really doing that bad. I kind of maybe think they'll have kind of a EJ Manuel type of season where they maybe lose two games, and one of them's at like NC State or something like that. But I don't just I don't know who's going to really beat them. The ACC isn't like super strong right now. Clemson, I guess a lot of people think Clemson is favored to win the conference, but I can see Florida State kind of stabilizing themselves and. Uh, Golson playing pretty well and I'm being, you know, top of the heap in that conference again. But, you know, ten and two. I'd be a little surprised with nine and three, but I think ten and two is probably the kind of season that they'll have and Golson will probably I don't know if he's gonna be in the Heisman discussion, but I think he'll be kind of floating in that area for a while, depending on where Florida State's losses are. And like you, I, I wish him luck and uh I don't know. I guess we have to move on, don't we? Yeah, we do. I mean, I will say that if he uh, if he does have a Heisman caliber season down there, it will sting. I'm not I'm not gonna say yeah. it won't. Um, I still wish him well, but man, that would really really sting. It's lurking in the shadows. I mean, everyone kind of knows. You know, he could have that type of season. Maybe Notre Dame doesn't live up to the expectations this year, and I don't I don't want to deal with that this off season. So let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> No, yeah, definitely not. Okay, so let's go through some of these topics, uh, three months' worth. Uh, the first one was Johnny Williams transferring. Um, I guess you could say it was a bit of a surprise. kind of came out of nowhere. Um, internally, I think we were kind of discussing how there weren't that many transfers over the past couple of years, and then uh, maybe we jinxed it or whatever. But he ends up landing at Toledo, I think, a couple of weeks later that came out that he was landing with the Rockets. Uh, your thoughts on – Someone who I think we were kind of banking on developing into a really good pass rusher and now suddenly being gone and 
maybe not being an impact player this year, but definitely the year after and the year after that. Yeah, I think it's a loss. I definitely do. I don't I don't think it's an insurmountable loss, but just from the point of view that, like you said, he had the potential to develop into a pass rusher, and that position at Notre Dame is one of such need. Um, I, I, I just it, – it's, it's just difficult for me to – to weigh it. But at the same time, I think it was a bit of a surprise from our point of view. Um, there weren't a lot of rumblings that he was going to leave. Um, you know, and I guess it's a little surprising when, you know, you look at a, a player who is going to go into a major position at, of need and then just decides to leave. Um, I don't really, I'm not too familiar with the situation as far as the circumstances around him leaving, but I'm assuming it was more of a just Notre Dame wasn't the right fit for, for him and that's why he's gone um but at the time i guess i felt that that was not that much of a deal but sort of looking at it in a larger sense now and everything that's happened since it might turn out to be a bigger loss yeah when the news broke uh you know i was kind of checking some other places and talking to some people and immediately they're like oh it's not academic and whenever i you know i think that comes out really quickly i always think uh i think that means it is kind of an academic but uh yeah i don't think there really was anything solid in terms of what was going on with him bad fit uh maybe didn't like the school wasn't getting along my issue with johnny was it didn't really appear judging by like spring or whatever that he was going to be in the too deep but um you know, I was listening to another Notre Dame podcast today, and they're kind of talking about moving um, Isaac Rochelle inside to help out with the depth at tackle and then playing Aquara and Trombetti at the edges, which, you know, in a vacuum, you think, oh, that's that'll work. You know, then we can kind of save some of the other defensive tackle bodies and we can get Day in there with Rochelle on the inside, which is great. But then I'm thinking, well, you know, who, who's backing up Trombetti at that weak side pass rushing edge? spot and you know like i said williams probably wasn't going to be the guy to step up but you never know what could evolve after five or six weeks into the season and not having that guy in there can it's definitely gonna i think affect things next year but uh yeah it's i was excited for him he's probably one of the lower rated recruits i think of the entire kelly era but um i was pretty pumped about him developing and it's kind of sad to see him go yeah i agree i'd agree with everything you just said all right, so the next topic was Irish Invasion, the big recruiting uh, extravaganza for Notre Dame held on campus. Uh, they actually held it, well, I guess portions of it, uh, inside the stadium this year. Um, and Notre Dame came away with uh, several commits. Um, safety Jane Elliott committed, wide receiver Kevin Stieferson, uh, kind of a outside linebacker defensive end, Jameer Jones, brother of Jaron Jones. We got 2017 commit Brock Wright, He's a tight end, committed a little bit later, and then another safety, Spencer Perry, flipped uh, from Florida a little bit after the Irish invasion. Um, any thoughts on on kind of the year two of the invasion? Uh, how, you know, did you like anything they did differently? And, you know, any of these players stick out to you as guys you're excited about? Um, well, what I'll say is that everybody who you just mentioned, with the exception of Brock Wright, um, is three is a three star commit, um, and I know that that's sort of been a sticking point, a negative sticking point for a lot of people um, across the various boards and websites of Notre Dame football fandom. Just that we're not getting 
yes, we're getting commits, you know, people are coming to see us and they're willing to commit, but we're not getting the quality of commit that we feel that a coaching staff in its sixth year of, uh, you know, of being in place yeah. uh, should be getting. Um, and I guess we can't evaluate that at this point because I think one of the valuable things of Irish Invasion of getting these kids on campus um, seeing how they react to campus, these are all positives for the coaching staff to really make a more informed decision, um, seeing these kids where they're going to be for the next four years in theory, um, seeing their skill set in person, all that sort of stuff. Those are all positive things for the coaching evaluation. Um, so from that point of view, I think what we need to do is sort of look in the next maybe three, four or five years see how these kids turn out. You know, if these are kids that, yes, they're being ranked as three stars right now, but did the coaches see something when they were here on campus uh, that made them think that these, these are people that can be developed, these are people that have a lot of potential? And, you know, so it, it's not something I feel like we can really say this year was a failure because we didn't get a five-star commit out of the Irish invasion. Yeah. You know, I'll be honest. I was pretty surprised with the Steeperson commit. Um, you know, Elliot Jones and Perry, those are pretty big needs at safety. And I think Jones is pretty much going to grow into a defensive lineman, if not a tackle, definitely a defensive end. But, um, you know, we were talking before the, or right before the Irish invasion, you know, there was some scuttlebutt that Steverson was really high up on the coaches boards. And at the time, you know, thinking this could be a 16 or 17 man class. Like, well, do we really need a three-star receiver kind of under the radar type kid right now? And, I know there was an interview with uh, one of the assistant coaches. I think it was Elston. Uh, he was saying, you know, the scholarship number changes daily. And uh, here we are, you know, three months later, and it's looking like Notre Dame's probably going to be able to take 22 or 23 with some of the stuff we're about to talk about here. But, uh, you know, I like some of these guys. Uh, good start to the class, I guess. We needed commits, basically. I mean, we were sitting at like six bodies or whatever it was heading into the summer. Um, Brock Wright's a 2017 really highly recruited uh, tight end. Um, Spencer Perry's going to be taking official visits, which is a little bit concerning. I'm kind of mentally preparing for him to decommit. Um, I, you know, it's probably 50% chance at least that that'll happen. So, uh, but there's a lot of safety targets. And uh, for the most part, you know, maybe, you know, like I said, accepting Severson, I think that, uh, these were kind of the players they needed to take coming out of the summer. Although, like you said, it didn't really have that big impact star quality uh, that I guess all the fans would have liked to see. Yeah. And I think the other thing that factors into this is that outside of uh, Atakumbo Ogundenji, give that my best shot is uh, you know, we need bodies on the defensive line, um, particularly at defensive end. And he's really the only guy uh, who's listed as a weak side defensive end, as a defensive end at all. Like you said, Jameer Jones will likely develop into that. But still, people are seem to be acutely aware of the fact that we need to land somebody, a, a real horse, um, on that line. And uh, they didn't see it coming out of Irish Invasion. We have, frankly, have yet to see it. And I think that sort of the nervousness and the apprehension um, and I guess you can say even a little bit of anxiety about that uh, sort of colors every other recruiting move that, oh, great, we got another receiver. Oh, great, we got a corner. 
where's our big defensive lineman? Where's the big name there? And even if they're a good pick and even if they have a lot of potential, it's going to be colored by the fact that you're not another Stefan to it. Mm-hmm. And we need that now. Yeah, we do. That would be great for, uh, for this year and especially next year. So a few more commits. You just mentioned Okundeje. I don't know how to say uh, <laughs> his name. Um, in and around the opening up in Oregon, uh, Nike's campus, uh, Notre Dame picked up the commit from Parker Boudreau, offensive guard from Florida. Chase Claypool, Canadian, um, representing Lars and Jamie's territory. Wide receiver slash athlete prospect. And then Aguna Dejay. I know I'm saying that wrong. It, it, it looks right, but it doesn't make sense in my head. So that's three more commits uh, to add to the to the fold. Those are all 2016 commits. Um did you see Boudreaux's commit video where he pulled the bus, and what did you think? Um, I saw it, and I thought it was cool. Um, I don't know. I just, some of these things, I, they've gotten a little ridiculous. I mean, I guess that was one of the more uh, uh, original ones that I've seen and sort of more, I guess, that pertains to football. I mean, it's not Jimmy Clausen showing up in a stretch limousine, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, – I don't know. I thought it was cool. I just know that going forward in the next, you know, years that these things are going to start getting even more uh, preposterous. I think it was some kicker who went, I forget if he committed to Duke or something that he like jumped out of a plane when he did it or something. I think like a couple of weeks after he did his thing. And I don't know. I think I really hope these things don't start getting to be distractions and, you know, stuff like that. I just hope that if they're putting all the effort into the commit, that it makes the means the commit is, you know, a hard commit, you know, it really sucked to do all that work, pull on that bus and then, you know, flip into Clemson or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It always makes you wonder. I actually watched it for the first time when I was at work and uh, I was on my computer. I don't have any sound. So I kind of watched it without sound. And at first it didn't really make sense to me. I was like, okay, he's pulling a bus now. Um, all right. And then he stops and then he walks to the back of the bus. And then there's like those Notre Dame logos on the ground. And he come, and I was like, why did he pull the bus? And why did he walk to the back of it? And then like later, we're just kind of reading some stuff. And I was like, oh, he pulled the bus off of the logos on the pavement. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> sure. But uh, yeah, that's pretty strange. Yeah. All right. I guess the next big ticket item for us uh, in the saga of Greg Bryant, I guess it's a three three pieces of news with Greg Bryant. First, he gets suspended for three games, um, heavily rumored to be uh, something to do with marijuana. Uh, then he gets suspended for the entire season due to grades. And then the third part is he will not be taking classes at Notre Dame this season, although it looked like he was all cleared to do that and sit out and, and come back next year with the football team, still unclear of where he's actually transferring to. Uh, looks like a, either a Juco in Florida, or I believe Brian Kelly said in his press conference, maybe a Juco in Iowa. What are your thoughts on Greg Bryant? Uh, often talked about player. Um, I guess if you go by all the press and all the stuff we talk about, with him, it didn't really match up to the production, but doesn't look like he's probably going to ever come back. And again, that's kind of sad to see someone like that 
leave the team and probably never graduate from Notre Dame. Yeah, I think it's it's a sad situation. Um, it's just like one of these weird stories that seems to be happening to Notre Dame again. I mean, I think part of the story was that he didn't, you know, after he got suspended for the whole season due to his academic situation, um, his father confirmed to pretty much anybody who would listen uh, that he was going to continue at Notre Dame, continue working towards his degree, um, and just be practicing with the team. And then the reports came out that he had transferred to the JUCO in Florida. And then I, I forget who, which rich reporter broke it. And, and then they called his father or something, and his father had no idea that this was going on. Uh, and I don't know. It's just so bizarre. I don't think he'll ever come back. I think it becomes an issue like with Everett Golson um, where, you know, you did something dumb, you know, well, I, I want to say dumb, but, you know, you did something that took you away from the team, right? And it wasn't because of injury. It wasn't because of, you know, factors beyond your control. These were, you know, your choices led you to do this. And, you know, your team is going to be out there competing without you, you know, because somewhere along the line you made some poor decisions. Um, and I would just seem to think that that would be – it would be difficult for him to come back and be accepted, you know, in the locker room. Now, I could be completely off base with that. I'm not in the locker room. I'm not these guys. and I'm not, you know, in their little social circles. But that's just my take on it. And But I think sort of going elsewhere to the JUCO sort of outside the radar, just I don't think it bodes well for a long-term decision to return to Notre Dame and graduate. Yeah, and do you think there's any truth to, you know, you might give a little bit more leeway to the school, to the teammates, to the quarterback position, but not so much to a running back who it seems at least had a little bit more off the field trouble than Golson. I know Golson had some academic stuff of his own, but, you know, just kind of reading the tea leaves, it seemed like Bryant was having a hard time in, in multiple areas. Well, I think the other thing it comes down to is that whenever Golson was on the field for Notre Dame, he produced and produced in a big way. Um, right. And Greg Bryant just hasn't been able to produce. Now, was I ex- I was definitely excited for him to come and potentially produce um, this coming season, especially under the tutelage of Audrey Denson. Um, and reading some of the um, the spring football reports out of that, that he was really learning a good mentality in terms of his running, and he looked good in the spring game. Um and he looked physically, you know, he's always looked, you know, good physically uh, from that point of view, but he looked particularly good um, in spring practice. And I was sort of hoping that he would really finally break out and, and live up to hit the potential he has, you know, that he came in with. Um, and, I, you know, I think it's just, it's a disappointment. Um, it's just, I mean, that's really what it is. It's disappointing. I'm sure it's disappointing for a lot of people involved. Um, but, you know, again, it's a similar situation, you know. It's a tough, it's a tough thing being a football player at Notre Dame, and you just hope that you know the sum total of all these decisions that have been made will eventually work out uh, for positive things in the young man's life. It definitely seemed like his dad wanted him at Notre Dame and kind of lost that battle. I mean, if at the end of the day, you just kind of have to move on with your life, and if he doesn't want to be here, then. Best of luck to him, I guess. I guess we'll move on here. There are two Mikes that won a medical scholarship a few weeks ago, Mike Hireman, tight end, and Michael Deeb, 
inside linebacker. Hireman battled several injuries uh, through kind of two and a half years with Notre Dame. I think he had a, a hip problem, a shoulder. Uh, D, it's a little bit more mysterious. I guess the thing with that Kelly said was he had a pretty nasty elbow injury and some nerve damage. And I can imagine trying to take on a pulling guard in the hole uh, wasn't very fun for him if his elbow was still bothering him. Uh, so two more scholarships open up. Not really big losses for Notre Dame. Any thoughts on these two guys as they kind of finish up their uh, degrees at Notre Dame but will no longer play football with the Irish? Well, the first thing is, you know, it's a good thing, obviously, that Notre Dame is continues to honor their scholarships. Um, I think that's very a very positive thing um, on behalf of the university. Um, you know, from Hireman's perspective, you know, he had, I believe it was, he suffered a sports hernia or what's called direct hernia where sort of uh the essentially parts of you know the intestines or stuff in you know poked through a hole and basically a tear in your abdominal muscles um and basically what that does is it makes it very difficult to weight train i mean you can't do anything of any substance with any amount of weight that's necessary for a college football tight end uh to do uh, in the weight room to gain weight or gain strength. So he had the first surgery, I believe, after his freshman year, and then he came back, and then it happened again. And again, it's a very difficult injury to come back from those things, even people who are, you know, essentially couch potatoes, it can happen to and linger the rest of your life. So, you know, I think the writing on the wall was there for some time. And with Deeb, I again, like you said, it's completely mysterious. I really don't know what they mean by nerve damage in his elbow, if that means that it's a muscle thing or a sensory thing or what's going on there. Uh, but, you know, you're right, though. If, if, he, if he has nerve damage in his elbow, he's not going to be able to use his hands effectively, not going to be able to play effectively. So it's probably best to just sort of hang it up at that point. But, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Um, no, I was just going to say, I mean, Hireman was buried on the tight end depth chart and and Deeb, it didn't look like – I mean, I saw, remember watching his senior film and being kind of amazed at how much he improved. But just kind of looking at him on the sidelines is kind of a – he basically looked like a fullback to me, really really short, squattier guy, these really huge legs. And I don't know, you know, if he ever would have had the, the opportunity to actually play linebacker under Van Gorder. So, um I guess that eases the pain from our fan perspective, but it's got to be tough for these players to just, you know, I think it's one thing to have like concussions or, you know, just like absolutely tear your knee up or something like that. It's got to be tough for these guys to, to have injuries like that and not be able to play anymore. Yeah. Especially the guy like Hireman where, you know, the injury, you know, prevents you from working out. It's like you want to, you know, everything else is fine. You want to get in the weight room and, and, you know, make progress and you're being, it's not because you don't understand the game or don't have the right skills. It's just that you can't gain weight, which stinks. I think one of the interesting things though is about these two uh, medical scholarships is which name wasn't mentioned. And that's Nikki Barati. I mean, mm-hmm. this is yep. someone who's, you know, his shoulders are made out of glass. And I know that both of them now have undergone surgery, both sides of his, both shoulders. And I know that one of them, and I forget which one has undergone surgery twice now. You know, so but he's still he's still kicking as a safety. Um, I don't know 
I mean, he's listed as the third safety uh, behind Max Redfield and Matthias Farley. You know, in reality, how much time does he get? I don't know. But, you know, I, it was a bit I, – I, I kind of expected when they announced these things that there would be three names and Nicky Barati would be one of them. I mean, you know, good job for the kid for fighting through all this. But, again, I don't know how effective he's going to be um, if he can't get on the field. Yeah, and also thought – uh, in fall camp that we would hear a lot more about how he was doing physically and taking on contact and all that. And it just, just seems like he hasn't been talked about at all this past couple of weeks. Yeah, I guess you could take that as no news is good news from the point of view that he's holding up, but also it could just be bad news that he's not doing anything at all impressive. And, you know, he's really suffering more from being rusty and having really not played over, I believe, the last two seasons now. Yeah, that could be. All right, next topic. Uh, three weeks tomorrow of the taping of this podcast, Notre Dame picked up a quarterback commit basically out of nowhere, kind of surprised everybody. Um, I think at the time they were saying if this didn't affect things with 2017 Hunter Johnson, it uh, turns out maybe the coaching staff knew a little bit more than we did. Uh, Johnson committed to Tennessee um, a couple days ago, and uh, that's the top quarterback off the board for next well i guess you would say two year cycles from now uh ian books the new quarterback commit kind of a, a middle to low three-star commit out of california i was a little bit surprised uh that we took him at the time i kind of like his his film a lot more than his rankings which is always good uh what do you think about taking kind of a, a lower rated quarterback this cycle are you, are you part of the team take a quarterback every year um, I, I think you do because you never know what's going to happen, um, especially when you look from the point of view that if we're going to be looking to run a more power spread the and, and with a running quarterback, not saying that Ian Book would fit that system particularly well, but more importantly that the guy who you are recruiting to really fit that system has a greater opportunity to get hurt. And you definitely need someone for as a stopgap, you know, in whatever the eventuality is. Um, I do think one thing that was positive in his recruitment, if I'm not mistaken, that Mike Sanford was recruiting him from Boise State. Um, and then, you know, so he was something that he already had contact with and, you know, obviously thought highly enough to continue to pursue um, as well as he was also, I believe, committed to Washington State under Mike Leach. And I think Mike Leach is a guy who knows a little something about guys who can really sling the ball. Um, so, I think from the evaluations of other coaches, I, I think that there might be a little bit more to this guy than, you know, just his sort of middling three-star rating. Yeah. When he committed and they're like, Oh, he was a Washington state commit. I was like, oh, that doesn't really make sense for Notre Dame system, but you know, he can move a little bit. He's got some wheels, uh, kind of a skinnier, taller kid, which I guess allows him room to grow and get bigger and faster and stronger. Uh, he's got a little bit of a funky throwing motion, but, so do a lot of other quarterbacks, but I guess we'll take him. I think we did need to take one um, kind of regardless of what happened with Johnson. Um, you know, I, I would have been pretty uh, scared going into another season with only three quarterbacks like we are this year. And hopefully nothing happens this year. Uh, fingers crossed, knocking on wood. So um, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, we had another transfer, Colin Hill, kind of a hybrid Sam linebacker slash rush end. Nobody was really sure what was going on with him. 
He transfers right before – I think he transferred right before fall camp, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, we later find out he's going to be going to Texas Tech. Uh, big loss or not so big of a loss? Well, uh, it's, a, it's a loss for me because I think I ate up about 65% of my airtime on these podcasts asking where was Colin Hill. Now the <laughs> answer is he's in Lubbock, Texas. Um, yeah, I, it's a loss. I, I'm not going to – I don't know. I, we spent all this time saying, what is what is this entity that is Colin Hill? Is he someone who's going to be able to rush the passer like he did against Michigan, or is he going to be somebody that's going to disappear for three-quarters of a season? Uh, I think, again, the same thing applies to Johnny Williams. I think he had more uh, present potential or more present skill uh, versus potential compared to Johnny Williams and so I think he's more of a loss from that point of view. But again, the same thing holds that this is a position of need. You know, this is a position that is not deep, unlike many other positions on Notre Dame's roster. Um, and having someone who does have some experience, um, who has had a year in the defense, um, and seem to have that really long wingspan and sort of some of the, you know, innate tools of, you know, uh, of effective defensive ends. You know, I think it is a loss, and I think, you know, it's going to be one that we're going to regret. Again, I don't really know what the situation here was. They didn't seem to be academic. It didn't seem to be a disciplinary thing. I mean, I would have wagered that he would have seen the field at some point this this season. So some people, I think, have said he wanted to be closer to home. He is from Texas. Um, But I do think that um, this is just another hit to a – defensive line that is in serious need of depth. He must have gotten homesick or something because nothing else really makes sense. You know, he made a big splash in the Michigan game and then we just really hear from him the rest of the season. I imagine, you know, he, he plays in the first couple games of the season, you know, maybe for whatever reason he didn't play in the next game or two. And then he probably just went into a funk internally, got homesick. And then that's probably why, the coaching staff didn't really utilize him because, you know, maybe he just – he knew he was transferring or he knew he was homesick and maybe the effort wasn't there in practice and stuff like that. That's the only thing that really makes sense to me. I don't understand why he would have played so well against Michigan and then all of a sudden the coaching staff uh, would have said something like, oh, he just doesn't fit, you know. I mean, yeah. he, you could have found a position for him on the defense definitely somewhere. And that's what that's what we talked about the last couple of times now is that it wasn't like, you know, he was a receiver and, you know, he had six guys ahead of him. You know, he was in a position where that was decimated yeah. last season, you know, and the fact that he couldn't find the field towards the end of the season, just I, I, that was so you know mysterious, you know, so you never know. Yeah. And even in the spring, you know, there were the media was at practices and they were doing like nickel and dime pass rushing sets. And he, he was at defensive end with the first team on those sets uh, some of the time. So, you know, it was like, it wasn't like he was buried in the depth chart or anything like that. It's kind of frustrating uh, to see that transfer. I, I, I did read, I think one of the writers from two, four, seven, I think it was Will Funk said that he wanted to be closer to his girlfriend. So what are you going to do? Well, I think that was Aaron Lynch's reason for leaving too. So among others, so now I guess Colin Hill's going to go play for the Pro- 49ers now. I know. Go, go start in the NFL. 
right. All right. So the next topic is uh, Showtime has been taping uh, Notre Dame's campus. We're going to have a 12-part series coming this season. The first one won't be unveiled to the public until, I believe, the Tuesday after the Texas game. Um, I'm imagining it'll be an hour long. I'm not completely sure if that was publicized. I think it's going to be an hour long. I think I saw 30 minutes, but I is could it? be wrong about that. Is it that. only 30 minutes? Okay. That's what I thought I saw, but I could be wrong about that. Hmm. Well, that kind of changes my perspective on what I was going to say. Okay, so <laughs> the Showtime thing, I kind of – I was. I guess I would skew more towards not liking it, but I want, I'm going to wait and see how you know it, it plays out. The only thing I would say, I think stuff like this is largely depending – dependent on how Notre Dame's football season goes. So if it's a 10 and two or better season, then I think most people are going to like, Oh, this is awesome. If it's something not quite that good, then I think this is going to be kind of uh, frustrating and angry watching on our behalf. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. When you look at hard knocks, which is HBO's uh, special, they follow a team through training camp and all that sort of stuff. You know, and basically dealing with the team, I, I think they go throughout the season. Um, you know, in the NFL, it's a little bit different because losing a game is not the end of the world in terms of yeah. you know, playing for a Super Bowl. It's a huge you know? point. And that's that's the thing is I think it'll be really cool. It'll be, it'll be like, last, like last season. You know, everything is great. Everything is great. And then the moment where all of a sudden, oh, man, we're out of it now. You know, we just lost two straight. You know, we dropped – I don't know, whatever, what some two games or, you know, we're 10 and two. And, you know, the moment we hit nine and three, you know, it becomes less of a a showcase of the program and more sort of a, you know, demonstration of futility, I guess, if you will, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I think the biggest argument against it is that it's, it's going to be just another distraction. You know, the team doesn't need more distractions, I don't know how much more of a distraction it'll be compared to how much access that NBC already has or ESPN when they're covering us has. I think that's pretty, um, pretty uh, sort of ubiquitous on your Notre Dame's campus and inside the Goog at this point. But I mean, we'll see again, but if you're hundred percent right that this is, you know, the reception of it is going to have more to do with the product that Notre Dame puts on the field than it does on Showtime. Um, you know, nobody's going to want to watch a nine and three team have to sit there and watch film of a losing game. That's just going to be sort of depressing. I I was thinking um, this would be something I would be really on board with if you know we were we were Ohio State and we're coming off a national title and like oh we're going to film you the next season and it didn't really matter like, we just won a title and but it just I don't know I don't know I don't say it's tempting fate but it just seems like we're kind of all hoping that this is going to be a really big season for Notre Dame. And, you know, are we going to really have showtime there like chronicling it the whole time? And it's just going to be like the perfect mesh of like ultimate media, uh, you know, however you want to put it. And I don't know. I just feel like uh, that's not, it's not going to work out. And at some point I'm not going to say we're going to, we're going to turn on showtime, but I, I think that, you know, like you said, once there's like one loss, two losses, if they happen, it's going to be kind of frustrating. Yeah, and I think I, the perfect word for this, it seems a little presumptuous, yeah. um, you know, given everything that's going on. And I don't know. I mean, like the stuff that they produced at the end of the 2012 season 
when it became pretty clear that, you know, we were going to go undefeated, we were going to the national championship game. I thought that was all great, but a lot of it was produced, you know, sort of after the fact. Right. You know, and it was great. You can enjoy it. You know, we did win the games. You know, it was, you know, they documented the magical season. They put it all together into a finish. Pro- I mean, I think that they were sort of filming the various media outlets, filming all the way through, but they actually put them together into a more finished, polished product at the end, you know, as a retrospective of the season like, and then before the championship game, of course. You know, and I think that that works really well. Just this idea that we're going to go through this and – you know, have it weekly as it happens. I mean, if we lose a game, let's say we lose to Georgia Tech or we lose to Clemson or something, do I really want to tune in, you know, yeah. and watch it? Will I watch it? Oh, yeah, I'm going to watch it. Am I going to be happy about it? Uh, not so much. I think if this was happening like 15 to 20 years ago, it would be a lot bigger for Deer just because we're not I – th- I, I, I think we're spoiled with – all the things that Notre Dame produces. And I'm just curious to see how this is different than what strong and true it was, was, was putting out there uh, on a weekly basis or, you know, what uh, NDI FIM as they're now renamed has been doing. Um, I know, I think I read somewhere that they're kind of collaborating with Showtime on it, but I can't say that I'm really like super excited to see how they film it and all that stuff, just because we have, we already like exposed to a lot of that stuff and, so I think that standpoint, I'm like, eh, you know, I'm going to watch it too. But, yeah. you know, if we lose, I, I'm just going to like hate watch it. Oh, yeah, that exactly. That That's the perfect term for it. All right. Next topic, uh, Notre Dame's Shamrock uniforms were unveiled a couple weeks ago. All green jerseys and pants with a bit of a funky gold helmet with the uh, fat leprechaun head, as I like to call it. Uh what was your take on these uniforms? I think everyone kind of knew or kind of thought that they would be green and we, boy, did we get green. We got some bright green. I, don't, I, I, I mean, I, in the article that I wrote about them, I, I said that they weren't horrible. Um, sort of more reflection on them. I, I don't, I don't really like them. <laughs> uh, I really don't. Um, first of all, the first thing that when I saw them, that came to my mind is, oh my God, somebody forgot to uh, tell the Under Armour people that this is University of Notre Dame, not the University of Oregon. Um, they they just, that's the thing that bothers me the most about them is you don't look at them and immediately think, oh, this is Notre Dame. This is Notre Dame on the field right now. It, you know, it looks like, oh, that might be Oregon. Oh, that might be University of Southern Florida. Oh, you know, some other team. It doesn't look immediately like Notre Dame, you know. Yeah, I don't care that it's not the classic blue and gold. I'm, what I'm saying, though, is that there's nothing on them that from sort of a distance says, oh, here come the Irish. Um, and I guess the other thing is I don't like it when – I think the uniforms would have been significantly more or better received, uh, significantly uh, more attractive if they had gold pants. Yeah. If the pants were gold, I think it'd be a completely different thing. Because frankly, when they do the single color for tops and bottoms, it, to me, it looks like the team's trotting out there in some very bulky pajamas. I, I just don't think it looks good. Um, and I just feel like I think someone mentioned this on the site, or someone, or one in, in our internal emails, that it, they just don't look like Under Armour put a lot of effort into these ones. You know, they sort of repurposed the Irish script from the basketball from the mustard yellow. Uh, basketball jerseys and then last last year's had all this detail about the dome and the this and the that 
And this year, oh yeah, we have eleven tick marks because we won eleven <laughs> national championship games. Uh, yeah, uh, we're going with that. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not outrageous, and that's a good thing. But I was a little underwhelmed by the product that was put out there. You said not terrible. I think that's probably the ceiling for these uniforms. And I've kind of come to make peace with that fact, I guess. Uh, as many of you guys know, I could probably talk uniforms forever. I actually do <laughs> like, I actually do like that green. Um, I'm a big proponent of the bright green. Um, I was looking at a picture. I think something popped up on my Twitter feed yesterday of Brady Quinn from, I think it's from 2006 when they were, the really dark green and you could barely even tell it was green. So I like the bright green, um, but I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm a very against the, uh, the same color Jersey and the same color pants, the, the monochrome look. Uh, I only think that looks good with white and occasionally with black. Although I will say uh, Oregon's Rose Bowl jerseys uh, were pretty awesome, but that was green from head to toe. And I don't know why that just worked, but yeah, these these jerseys not terrible. I think that's kind of what we're gonna yeah. get every year. If they if they ever go the route of maybe a throwback or kind of using like traditional traditional styling with maybe a little bit of modern touch, if they ever do something like that, I think we'll get out of the not terrible area. But as long as we kind of have just kind of strange things on there and kind of doing things that don't really have any purpose, uh, yeah, yeah, not. Not terrible. <laughs> what more can you say? Well, I mean, there's there's really two things that I just want to add to that. It's just that when they do these things, it's got to be green and gold, or green and blue, or blue and gold. Yeah, can't I'm, do all three on the same thing. Yeah, I'm huge, I'm huge on that too. I they've kind of been doing that for all the sports now at Notre Dame, so I'm kind of getting used to it. But I just hate how it looks like. Um, it, to me, I grew up playing hockey, so it looks like the Hartford Whalers with like gold <laughs> trim. Like yeah. it's some sort of anniversary Hartford Whalers uniform or something. Yeah, I, I it's just the colors they work together in pairs, but not in triplicate. Um, right. I think the one final thing is I think it's really gimmicky if we if we're matching the color of the green monster. I'm sorry, there's just something that just seems kind of dopey about that. Um, and I really hope that like when you know, Malik is throwing the deep bomb, you know, Will Fuller's jersey doesn't blend in like the Predator <laughs> into the back of the green monster and he completely misses him by a mile or something. I think that would be horrible. Did, but, did, did they actually say that they tried to match the colors? I don't know. I, I, when they keep saying the green monster and you sort of hold the colors next to each other, I'm like, yeah. I really hope that this is not what the reason you picked this color I mean, I'm a little green, red, green colorblind, so I might just be completely off on this. But I'm going to go ahead and say, I, if that's what they were trying to do, and to me, it looked kind of what they were trying to do. Uh, I don't know. I, I would just think that man, that is so gimmicky. Just, just don't do that. You know, Notre Dame is good enough product for both Under Armour and for the university herself. That just, just don't, don't, don't sink to that level. Yeah, I thought I'd have to look at the picture of the monster. I thought it was a little bit darker green, but I do agree. Uh, That's I what I couple, thought, too. I heard a couple of people before the uniforms were announced say, well, well, the green monster will be wearing green, and ah, they're not going to do anything like that, but I guess they did. Yeah. All right. Um, we got another commit recently, Josh Lug, offensive lineman out of uh, the Pittsburgh area. Uh, I think he goes to North Allegheny, one of the powers and 
Western Pennsylvania. I wish he was a defensive lineman. Excited to have him, but uh, I guess the the train rolls on for Harry Heastand. Well, never count out that he can't be a defensive lineman. I mean, we got a starting freshman in theory. That's true. Uh, he could be the next Hillary. He could be the next Hillary, but we don't even know what being the next Hillary exactly means yet. Uh, but no, I think you're 100 right with the, the train runs on for Harry Heastand. I mean, he's just basically knocking on doors and saying you in, and they basically say, yeah, we're in. Uh, and it's great. It's a great thing. And, you know, this is what I mentioned, uh, I think a couple podcasts ago, that this is going to be Notre Dame strength in recruiting is linebacker. Uh, sorry, not linebacker, offensive line, tight end, um, and running back. You know, these are the guys who we're going to be able to get. We have to tailor an offense, make that sort of our identity and just run over people, you know, you know, don't, don't, you know, play the hand you're dealt and play it well. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And if we're going to keep getting commits like that, I mean, I, I can't think of another way to approach the offensive side of the ball. Okay. That will wrap up the recruiting part of this podcast. Now we're going to talk about a couple injuries that happened recently. Jaron Jones out for the season with an MCL injury. He had surgery recently. Sean Crawford, true freshman, looked like he might be the full-out starter at Nickelback. He's out for the season with his own knee injury. Um, pretty tough blow for a defense that was bringing back so many bodies. Uh, still in pretty good shape, but these were kind of – Jones more so than Crawford, but these were two players that were kind of looking to be big pieces to the defense this year. Yeah, um, I guess there's there's a couple points to be made about this. Mostly before we start pump, you know, uh, saying disaster on the Crawford thing, I think we should – you know back off from that a little bit. Yeah, did he seem to have a really high motor and he seemed to have a lot of skills and seemed to be the sort of player you wanted. But at the end of the day, he's still a true freshman. And you never know what you're going to get from a true freshman um, when the lights come up on you know Saturday afternoons. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to say that that's a huge blow, particularly yet. I mean, Jerron Jones is, I think, a pretty substantial blow. I mean, I think the only worst one would have been Sheldon Day. Um and I think it's going to affect Sheldon, Del's, Sheldon Day's level of play because Jerron Jones seemed like the kind of guy who was just going to feast on double teams and just draw them to him like a magnet. Um, and I think that some of that offensive line focus is now going to uh, double back on Sheldon Day and potentially affect his productivity. Um, and I guess the final point I want to make on this is that, you know, people have been screaming now about the strength and conditioning program at Notre Dame you know, why are all these injuries happening? Um, and I'll just sort of repeat what I said um, in the comments on, I believe, the Sean Crawford article is that, look, you can't look at these these injuries in aggregate. You have to look at them individually first. You know, Jaron Jones was in a weird pile up. Sean Crawford, I don't really even know what happened with his injury. Um, you know, some of the other ones we suffered at the end of last year were just freak accidents and have nothing to do with strength and conditioning. You know, um, somebody stepped on you know, um, uh, Joe Schmidt's, you know, ankle and broke it, you know, Max Redfield broke a rib, you know, uh, Sheldon Day had a tough sprain. You know, these are not things that are really reflect well, that reflect at all on the strength and conditioning program. Um, and if so, in a very minimal way. So I think before we start seeing trends, we need to look to see if the data points actually even support a trend. And in my opinion, they don't. Hey, doesn't that make you want to rip your hair out? I don't understand why people... Always, I mean, it's 
not even just Notre Dame fans. It just seems across the board, fans see some injuries and they immediately start pointing fingers at the strength and conditioning coach. I mean, I guess it would make sense if there was like injuries in the winter or something when they're lifting weights or, you know, going through Camp Kelly or something like that. Then I guess you'd be like, oh, okay, well, let's, what happened and let's take a look at that. But, you know, a couple guys pile up on Jaron Jones and he, I mean, he has a knee brace on. It must've been a terrible injury. For his Most knee braces don't do that much. To be to be perfectly honest with you, they're they're not going to prevent. You know, if a, if a, if a three hundred pound guy falls on that, that that little bit of plastic ain't doing much. But but still, you're right. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a random event, and can't you can't make a trend out of that. Not and I and you're right. I don't understand why people. That's the first. That's their knee jerk reaction. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. I guess it makes them feel good. It makes them feel like, you know, oh, yeah. you know I'm, I'm such an expert on, you know, conditioning at the highest level. I guess you got to blame somebody. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Let's kind of transition here to the last part of the podcast. We'll talk about what's been going on in fall camp, some of the roster stuff over the past three weeks. Um, since we've kind of already been talking about the defense, we'll stick there first. Um Defensive line, Jaron Jones out of the mix now. It looks like they're going to slide Jerry Tillery over to nose tackle. He, I think he was kind of more on the three-tech uh, in fall, but he was mostly at nose in the uh, spring. So they'll move him over to the nose tackle. looks like him and Cage are going to fight for first-team reps. We'll have Sheldon Day at the three-tech. looks like Jay Hayes will back him up. Um Rochelle will be at strong side defensive end. We'll also have uh, Jonathan Bonner and Blankenship on that side. Uh, Aquara and Trombetti also up front on the weak side defensive end. Still a pretty good two deep. Um, you know, not, not an amazing pass rush, but still a lot of things to like here. The, the loss of Jones, though, kind of looms large, especially if, you know, Cage maybe doesn't have the uh, – uh, the effort to be able to play more than three or four plays in a row. I know that's a big issue. And uh, Tiller is a true freshman, always a big worry. So your thoughts kind of on how the, the defensive line has shaped up through camp so far? Um, well, I, like we already said, yeah, I think the loss of Jerron Jones is going to be huge. Um, and, I, I mean, I hope Tillery can go and transition into that uh, into the nose guard position. I know that, like you mentioned, that he was, I believe, being set up to back up Sheldon Day. Um, and I believe I read an article a couple of days ago, maybe it was a week or so ago, about Daniel Cage. Basically, um, Keith Gilmore was saying that he's the strongest kid on the team, um, which is some pretty high praise considering, you know, guys like um, Quentin Nelson are on the team as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, and, and the interesting thing, though, is that the nose guard is that you have two completely different body types at the nose guard. I mean, Jerry Tillery is 6'6", 305. And then Daniel Cage is 6'1", 325. Daniel Cage is more of the sort of Lewis Nix body type. I don't mean he has the same skill set, right. not by a long shot, but he's got more of the same body type. Um, so you got to just hope that some of that conditioning and that motor might have been affected by his off-season training. Um, you know, this is also, I think, going to depend on a lot of, you know, the defense that, uh, that Brian Van Gorder is going to run, you know, I think because we're so solid at the linebacker position, you know, we might see more, you know, 
we're, we're just going to have to use linebackers to develop that pass rush. And you know what? It's a, it's a finished product. You know, it's, if, and if the net, if the sum of the parts is still productive, then it's, you know, I guess it, it, it's okay. And we'll talk about those linebackers. Pretty quiet fall camp, I guess, in terms of guys jockeying for position. Um, you know, Jamin Smith still at will. Looks like Schmidt is going to win the Mike linebacker position going away. Um, James Onwalu is still at strong side linebacker. Um, it looks like Morgan's probably going to play quite a bit. Still kind of wondering how he fits in with some of the sub packages. But uh looks like Smith, Jalen Smith and Joe Schmidt, uh, basically it's the same as last year, really, if you look at it, with the exception of Morgan being a year older and not being forced into the lineup. Uh, due to injuries, um, a lot to like with these linebackers. Obviously, Jalen is a big part of that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, and I think utilizing Jalen Smith's skill set is going to be um, going to make or break this defense and how to utilize this, so many of the talents that he has. You know, do we want to see him rushing more? You know, do we want to see him lining up cl- much closer to the line of scrimmage? you know, and getting after the quarterback. And is that the way that we can generate a consistent path r- pass rush? Um, I know Tavon Coney seems to, he's, you know, he's uh, on, he made the two deep behind Jalen Smith um, at Will Linebacker. And I think it seems that he's benefited uh, tremendously from being an early enrollee. Um, I've heard very good things about Asmer Bilal, you know, that he's a very instinctive linebacker and very um, athletic. Uh, Greer Martini is also made the two deep on Sam and James on Waldo seems to have put on some size. Um, and, you know, I think we can really expect good things from this linebacker. The only, the only negative that I've heard really from the linebackers is that Josh Barajas uh, showed up a little out of weight, out of, excuse me, out of shape. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't prepared to play. Um, so I suppose, uh, you know, that's, I guess that's not the biggest deal because they are so deep at linebacker. And, you know, I don't think he was really going to make a huge impact, even though he kind of was the jewel of the defensive side of the recruiting class uh, this past class. So, you know, hopefully he'll get that straightened out in the weight room and uh, go from there. Yeah, it definitely looks like Barajas is going to redshirt. I I like Bilal. He's probably my favorite out of that three-man group. Um, I think in a couple of years, he drinks pee like, wow, this guy's – not the biggest linebacker, but his speed and athleticism is pretty amazing. He's kind of turned a couple heads during fall camp. Kind of sounds like he might play on special teams. I kind of hope they redshirt Bilal, too. I mean, do we really need a third-team strong side linebacker to burn a redshirt? I'm, I don't know. I guess depending on what they do on special teams. But it sounded like they're going to put more veterans on special teams. I know we kind of say that every year, but I'm hoping he, he redshirts. I don't really see a huge need for him to play this year. Well, one thing I'd like to see is, um, you know, as you say, if I'd like to see him redshirt and maybe Jarrett Grace moving over to the Sam linebacker position um, yeah. and maybe taking those reps as a bigger guy, maybe get him again, like sort of like Jalen closer to the line, make him really, you know, crash into a tight end or something and try and pressure quarterbacks um, and sort of be a heavy hitter close to the line. And I'd like to see him in the game probably before we uh, take the red shirt off of the law. One thing to mention is Jared Grace is by far the biggest of all of them. They're all sort of sitting between 220, 235, all the linebackers, and Grace is at 253. I mean, wow, he is uh, he, he's really a holdout from that 3-4 defense that we used to run. Yep. Um, so he might just 
be a sort of hybrid defensive end sort of person in in this coming year. But we'll see. We'll see how he get how he plays. So the cornerbacks have pretty much been a big love fest over the past couple of weeks, even with the loss of Crawford. He's out for the season. Um, Russell's looked fantastic. Cole Luke's getting a bunch of praise. Uh, Nick Coleman was probably maybe the biggest surprise of entire fall camp. Looked like he was in the running for the, the third corner spot for a while. Uh, Brian Kelly's latest press conference, he comes out and says that Devin Butler is actually the third cornerback right now. We don't know where that leaves Nick Watkins, who we kind of assumed was going to take his place behind Luke and Russell as the third corner. We also have Farley at nickel um, or slash playing at safety. There still seems to be a little bit of mystery about what they're actually going to do with Farley. I mean, there's not a whole lot to dislike about the corners, correct? No, I don't think at all. And I think that there's a lot of versatility there. Um, you know, it, Devin Butler will see, because he doesn't, Devin Butler is biggest drawback because he doesn't have great speed and he can get burned. Um, when, when you're dealing with some of the more elite receivers that we're going to have to go against. Um, and that's sort of his biggest drawback. But I think that this is going to end up being a very situational defense uh, going into this this season. Um, basically, we're going to see a lot of Matthias Farley when we're playing Georgia Tech, when we're playing Navy, when we're playing run, Stanford, run-heavy teams, You know, because I think that's where he excels, up by the line of scrimmage. Um but I think when we're going to be playing teams that are going to be spreading it out more, we might see more younger guys like Nick Watkins or even Nick Coleman, you know, who might have that top end speed um, as a factor in their ability to play. I think finally the most uh, intriguing thing is potentially Kavari Russell having some time uh, at nickel uh, or basically just guarding the opposing slot receiver um, because they're saying that his ability to get into the backfield is also something that can't be ignored. Um, which is definitely something that, uh, you know, is fairly, like I said, fairly intriguing going into the season. Yeah, I'd imagine when we play Clemson, um, they're going to want Russell in the slot on Artavis Scott. He's a smaller, super quick receiver. Um, same thing for USC. Um, Adoree Jackson probably play, be in the slot. I, I would imagine they like Russell to play that position. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, you know, it makes me excited to have Russell and 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 Jalen and Schmidt kind of owning the middle of the field there. It's a, a big upgrade in my mind from last year. No, I think you, I think you're very much right about that. Um, you know, I, but it is going to be sort of the, the storyline over the next you know week and a half as to who will if whether whether it be Butler, Coleman, or Watkins uh, coming up to be um, that third safety. I know Watkins was appeared to be beat out by Crawford to be that third safety, um, which was a little concerning that a sophomore would be beaten out by a true freshman. Um, but I think we just need to wait and see what each of these guys are going to offer and how uh, Brian Van Gorder is going to string them out back there along with Todd Light. So we're looking at backups at safety. That's kind of the, the thing we're looking at for fall camp. Looks like Redfield's got the full free safety position on lockdown at all the media viewings, it didn't really look like he was uh, leaving the first team offense or defense all that much. Um, kind of more mystery with the strong safety position, although it seems like they're just trying some things out over there. Shoemate is kind of giving way a little bit to Avery Sebastian, the grad transfer from Cal. Looks like those guys are the top three, probably going to 
eat up most of the snaps at safety. Um, after that, kind of a big question mark. Uh, Tranquil is kind of in the mix. Not really sure if he's a true safety. We mentioned Barati earlier in the podcast. Didn't really do anything. Um, the true freshman, Fertitta and Williams, not really in the mix. And the leftover is uh, John Turner, who I – you know, I pride myself on knowing a lot about the team, but I'm not even sure. Did he move to linebacker again, or is he back? I don't even know where he is. I think he's still back at safety. So it looks I don't like even a, have, I yeah. don't even have him on this chart, so I couldn't tell you. So it looks like they got a nice group of three guys there. Hopefully, no injuries. I'm still worried about safety. I know I've. It feels like I've been saying this for three years, but uh, the pass rush isn't as big of a deal to me because we can get pressure from. Russell and Jalen and other guys blitzing and stunting, but safety, uh, it just worries me. I think it's the one thing that I'm, if there's like an injury to Redfield or Shoemate, oh my God, I, I think our defense is in a world of hurt. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, I, but, you know, sort of on the flip side of that, I think that Max Redfield certainly seems to be coming out of a shell and focusing more on football than on school. Um, which is kind of an odd thing in today's NCAA, um, you know, and, and developing as a leader and being more communicative on the field along with Elijah Shoemate. And, the, and you know, the upside for both of those guys is they're incredibly athletic, mm-hmm. you know, the two of them. And if they can get the, you know, sort of the mental side of the game squared away um, and hopefully being in the second year of Brian McWhorter's system um, will help with that. And it seems from the reports that are coming out of camp that guys are – much more comfortable with the system from the mental strategic point of view than they were last year. Um, and I think that we'll probably see better play out of those two guys. Um, but, but like you said, if, if they're, if one of them gets hurt, you know, maybe Avery Sebastian can step in, but true tranquil is not a, it's not a safety. He is so out of place. You know, he needs to be a linebacker or something. I don't really know where to put him. He's a kind of a tweener. Um, and Matthias Farley doesn't have a good track record of safety either. So. Yeah, I'm I'm worried about it. Let's go to the offense. Um, seems like Zayer kind of looked the same as he did in the spring. Maybe a little bit better, I guess. Um, not a whole lot to report there. Kaiser is probably the biggest story. Uh, looks like he locked down the second, the backup position. Uh, improved accuracy. Looked like he's kind of getting getting control of the offense. Um, and I was pretty high in Wimbush, and I, I mentioned before fall camp that I thought he was going to push really hard for the for the backup spot. It looks like that's trending more towards Wimbush redshirting for now. We'll see what happens during the season. But uh, I think I said internally among our OFD guys that I thought, you know, if Hunter Johnson committed that they would kind of feel some pressure, uh, you know, psychologically to, to get Wimbush on the field and kind of create some separation uh, between the two players so when – Johnson shows up. We don't have Wimbush as a still kind of a young player, but I think now that that's not in play, they can take their time with Wimbush. And the good news is that Kaiser stepped up, I guess. Well, that's true. I think, I mean, there was so much going on in the, in the young man's life uh, during the spring game that he didn't get to show us. I think the ability that he actually does have, but he has been able to do that in fall. Um, I don't know if I'm going to agree with you on the idea that, Hunter Johnson's commitment has such a role in whether or not Brandon Wimbush plays or not this season. Um, I know that Brian Kelly has been criticized for, you know, these hotshot recruits not being prepared when it 
comes time for them to get in. I don't know how much truth that is there is to that, but I think that they're just going to do what's best for the young man, what's best for the offense, what's best for this team. I don't think that they're going to be looking at who the next – I mean, because just because we didn't get Hunter Johnson doesn't mean we're not going to get a stud QB. That's true. Uh, you know, so, you know, I, I think that they sort of divorce those two things and maybe us looking from the outside in assume that they're looking at that and they're really just focused on, you know, the 85 guys that they have, you know, September 5th. Okay, running back um, hasn't really gone too great this spring. Um, Pro size kind of moved there full time now. He had a hip flexor injury, if I remember correctly. Should have been practicing starting today. Falston, they've been taking him and giving him light reps, not wanting to get him hurt. Justin Brent at running back. We kind of heard some stuff earlier in camp, not so much uh, over the past 10 days or so. Uh, maybe the biggest story is uh, Josh Adams running back out of uh, Philadelphia. Depending on how you talk to it, kind of seems like he might have passed Dexter Williams as the one freshman running back that could potentially see some time uh, this season, especially earlier in the season. Um, you know, Williams was more highly rated, I guess a little bit more ready for college with his, with his physique and his, his skill set, I guess. But, uh, Williams kind of showed a, a lot, I thought, in some of the highlight videos, especially. Yeah, uh, I think that that's these are all good things, though. You know, you when you do recruit, I think it's it's sort of anecdotally true that the running back position of all the offensive positions is probably the easiest for a true freshman to come in and make um, a serious impact. Um, and you know, from the point of view that um, you know Josh Adams is a little bit on the larger side uh, for a, uh, for a running back, he's six foot one two twelve. 12. Um, he's not as heavy as CJ pro size, but he's a little bit taller. Um, you know, I, I think these are all great conversations and, and, and sort of our rushing attack looks good and solid for the next couple of years. But at the end of the day, uh, the most important thing is we haven't heard much about Terry and Folston, which means that he is so cemented in as a starter and, and, you know, he's doing everything right. Um, that we don't really have to worry about that. The only issue that we need to worry about is, you know, what happens if he gets hurt. And, you know, I don't really want to go in that direction because I don't, you know, you know, that you, you can, you can bring that up about anybody, you know, that he gets hurt. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, like I said, I think, you know, Josh Adams, I mean, he's had some good runs, but again, I don't know if that means that our defense is not that great against the run and our offensive line is just unreal. And just, I think there's a lot of factors there, but hopefully Terry and Folston will just be a workhorse this season and we won't really have to worry about it. So speaking of the offensive line, um, a quiet camp for them, nice and healthy. Uh, kind of everything has played out the way we thought it would. Uh, Quentin Nelson won the left guard spot. It seemed like right away. Uh, Alex Bars is seemingly the sixth offensive lineman at guard or tackle. Any, any thoughts on the offensive line? Just a lot of lot of potential, a lot of hype coming into the season for sure. Uh, yeah, I think we do need to sort of temper our very high expectations with the fact that this is going to be the first time that this configuration is actually playing together um, in real game minutes. Now, with that said, I think that the talent there and the strength is so evident that 
you don't have to temper those expectations that much. Um, judging by what Harry Heastan has said, it seems like Alex Barr's um, will uh, be filling it at both guard and tackle to develop some versatility going forward. But it seems like he'll be the first person in at the tackle position. Um, and just, you know, I guess sort of the big question mark on the line, just because he's a redshirt freshman and playing for the first time is Quentin Nelson, even though he is so physically talented. Uh, but the good part about that is he's between Nick Martin and Ronnie Stanley, the two most experienced uh, players on that line. And that should probably help in his development and keep him sort of sound uh, when, you know, down in the trenches there. Okay. Wide receiver was a pretty interesting stuff going on in camp there. Um, Looks like Chris Brown and Will Fuller are kind of the unquestioned top two receivers. Um, Amir Carlisle kind of still starting in the slot, but he's getting pushed really hard by, Guys like Torrey Hunter and, and true freshman C.J. Sanders, kind of interested to see how that all works out. Corey Robinson hasn't really broken into the starters, quote-unquote starters, but he's firmly entrenched as one of the backups. Um, it seems like Corey Holmes has fallen down the depth chart, and Equinemia St. Brown has kind of skyrocketed up the depth chart, possibly into the top six or the top four outside receivers. Um you know, lately I've been looking and seeing some stuff across the nation, some of the national writers saying they're giving a lot of praise to the wide receiver unit at Notre Dame. There's a lot of things to like here. Uh, could be a big season for several of these players. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think – I think that kind of goes without saying at this point that the expectations are sky high. Um, I mean, I'm really hoping to see Chris Brown. I mean, Chris Brown seems to have all the physical tools, um, you know, and he – for the last couple of camps now, I think the last two, we've always been saying, oh, this is Chris Brown's coming out party. This is He's going to have a great season. And it, I wouldn't say he's really disappointed, but I don't think he's lived up to the full expectations that we have from him. And I'm hoping now that he's sort of maybe the second option behind Will Fuller, he'll get more targets and really be able to display some of that, uh, some of that talent. Um, Corey Robinson, like you said, hasn't been able to break really into the starting role. I doubt he would. And I would wager that, Ecomenia St. Brown will probably uh, eat into some of his catches as well as being just another really tall. They're both listed at six five uh, receiver, and but St. Brown seems to have more uh, innate talent at the receiver position. Knows what to do and has just a different level of athleticism than what Corey Robinson brings. At the same time, I think Corey Robinson will be on the field all the time. I think he's still going to be a very reliable receiver, especially in that sort of uh, intermediate passing uh, game coming across the middle and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches at this point. And C.J. Sanders just looks filthy in some of the uh, some of the film that we've seen of him. Yeah, I think deep down I'm kind of – if he doesn't get, like, three jet sweeps in the Texas game, I'm going to be angry. I know that's not realistic maybe, but, I mean, I, I think this kid's going to be pretty, pretty fantastic straight out of the gate. Might be – might have a, a run or two where he loses, like, six yards, but – I think he has big game potential. And he's and only 5'8". That, that's yeah. the most incredible thing. He's only 5'8". He's only yeah, I, I love the little guys. I, I think that's kind of been what Notre Dame's been missing from the roster, really. You look at all the – I guess Fuller, well, he's not quite that short, but Fuller's not really that, that kind of water bug, punt returning, make you miss six times kind of player. I think that – I mean, and Carlisle's not like that at all. So I think that's why – that. Sanders is probably going to get a really good hard look at some serious minutes in the slot. 
you just got to get the ball to him, whatever, however you can. And like I said, jet sweeps, get the ball to him. Yeah, All right, tight end, our last position group. Uh, some of the media guys aren't really too high in this group. A lot of bodies. Seems like almost everyone on the roster is going to play. Um, I guess Jerem Smythe is the is the still the first team guy, kind of died by default. I guess he battled some injuries in camp. Um, doesn't seem to really be separating himself as a pass catcher. I guess he's doing all right as a blocker. Um, Nick Wisher kind of had a really good camp in the beginning, and then the past few days we haven't heard too much of from him. Lua Tua, um, you know, I kept reading a bunch of stuff that he was struggling as a pass catcher. That's not surprising. He's probably just going to be that that H back. Um, Chase Hounschel's, you know, huge for a tight end, so he's going to be someone who could come in and block from time to time. And obviously, uh, Alize Jones is the is the stud recruit. Um, he was singled out by Brian Kelly, saying, you know, he's going to see the field and he'll be tough to keep off the field, stuff like that. So. I don't know if that means Jones is going to have a 10-catch season or a 20-catch season, but it looks like he'll be playing quite a bit when there's not really a, a you know that NFL high draft pick type of uh, proven tight end right now at Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to – we have to wait and see. I mean, Durham Smythe has sort of been stuck. I mean, not that he was stuck, but, you know, he had Koyak and the season before. I guess he's a redshirt sophomore now, so mostly just behind Ben Koyak. Um, who just saw a lot of targets last year. Um, I, I think he has a lot of potential. He certainly has the size you want, 6'5", 242. Um, so I, I just let the kid go out and play and see what he can do. Um, Alizé Jones, yeah, I mean, he just seems to be this another just tremendous talent. Um, and we'll just see if he can, you know, put it together enough in terms of the offense on uh, the mental side of it you know, to be able to really make an impact and let his athleticism shine through. And, I mean, Tyler Lua, too. I mean, what do we really expect Tyler Lua, to catch? I mean, I'm just sort of expecting, like, a short, maybe two-yard out route out of the backfield from him, from that H-back position. Yeah. You know, I guess if he can do that well, that that that's really all you would expect for him, maybe on the goal line or, you know, in short-yarded situations. But he's 260, so it's, he's going to be a tough guy to bring down when he, if he does catch it. Yeah, he's a, he's a load. They're probably not going to be running past anybody, but he's going to run over a couple guys. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, this podcast was nice and long. We recapped the past three months. Um, t- next week is game week. I can't believe it's here. I already started working on the Texas preview. Probably one of my favorite things to do out of the whole year is to start on that first true game preview and not a summer uh, off-season preview. So I'm excited. We'll be back next week kind of previewing the Texas Longhorns. It's going to be a night game. It's going to be awesome. Um, I think the atmosphere is going to be really awesome. Uh, any thoughts to add, Phil, before we get out of here? No, I'm just so happy that we're, uh, you know, we're getting close to the real deal here. No more no more potential. It's now, now. It's now. Yeah. Do we're, it now like a week away from college football game starting and just a little bit over that from uh, Notre Dame playing. So we'll be back next week. That's Phil. I'm Eric, and we will be back with a preview of the Texas Longhorns and the start of college football season 2015.